Luke 24, 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Please keep your Bibles open with me as we continue our sermon series, The History of Redemption, sermon series accompanied by the Reflections at BibleTogether.com. I encourage you to continue there with us, even as we move into this season of Advent here in the second week of Advent this morning. Throughout the story thus far, uh, we've seen a rebellion of a sinful people, graciously created by our God, graciously given our being, yet rebelling against our Creator. And even as we've seen God graciously move toward this rebellious people, move toward a people with a covenant by which He's revealing His purpose of redemption. So we have God who purposes creation, a creation that rebels against the generosity and grace of our God. And yet our God draws near in steadfast love and mercy, made known in his covenants. Now last week, we moved from the Old to the New Testament, and we began with the Gospel of John. There at the beginning 
of the Gospel of John. I hope your scriptures are still open, and you can probably see it on the right-hand page from where we are this morning. As we, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word took on flesh that the people who would receive the Word, would receive Jesus Christ in his coming, would be born again as children of God according to his divine purpose to redeem a people for himself. This is where we turn now as we move into the New Testament. This morning, we move to the end of the gospel narrative. So we began last week with the very beginning, speaking of the incarnation, the longing for the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. And now we turn to the end of the narrative in Luke chapter 24. Now, just before our reading this morning, the portion that we didn't read at the beginning of Luke 24, it's the account of the resurrection. On the Friday prior, the prior Friday afternoon, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, was crucified. And he died, and he was buried. And now, we're just a few days later, it's Sunday morning, and a small group of women went out to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And they found the stone covering the tomb, rolled away, and the body of Jesus was gone. But what they also found was two angels, and those two angels announced, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. So they proclaimed the resurrection of the one who was crucified, the resurrection of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. They're proclaiming this. And here's what they go on to say. Listen, listen closely. Remember how he told you. That's a crucial phrase for our time this morning. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. What the angels say here is essential for us. Remember how he told you. They call the women to remember. Will we join this morning? Will we remember? Will we call to mind what the Lord has said? He who is the word made flesh has spoken. And what does he speak? Well, all he speaks is in accordance with the scriptures, even as we'll see in our passage this morning. These disciples of Jesus had forgotten, but they'd forgotten with more than their mind. They'd also forgotten with their hearts. And Jesus again draws near with his grace and he shows his disciples again the truth that they would remember and that they would believe. Let's pray that the Lord would do that for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. This morning, this is such a Trinitarian passage. Father, Son, Spirit, you're all over the work throughout Luke chapter 24. Lord, we pray that you would continue that work even to this day, that on the foundation of the reality of your death and resurrection, your spirit would work among us this morning by your word, that we too would remember, and that we too would confess, and we too would believe as you interpret the scriptures to us this morning. Apply your word to our hearts, that our hearts would burn with reality revealed by your word. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen. This morning, we begin with two disciples on a road. 
to a village in Emmaus. It says just about seven miles away from Jerusalem, so they're just making a short little trip. I mean, everybody here walks seven miles in an afternoon, right? Uh, They're trying as they go along the way on this seven-mile journey back to Emmaus. They're trying to make sense of redemption history. Well, here we are. Maybe we're not walking seven miles this morning, but maybe it's been 14 weeks, all right? And we're still trying to make sense of redemption history. Now, let's step down for a moment into the narrative, okay? The meaning of this transcends and blows up as we consider the whole of the history of redemption. But in this moment, on this journey, on a Sunday afternoon, these two people, just the Friday before, had seen what seemed to be the end of redemption history. It was over. They thought redemption history had had reached its climax with with the coming of Messiah, and Messiah's dead. At least as far as Jesus is concerned, it was all over, and they're making a sad journey home. Well, here we are this morning making sense of the history of redemption. Here, these two disciples have witnessed events with their own eyes, with their own bodies in the flesh, present in Jerusalem at the death of Jesus that had shaken them to their core. Imagine witnessing what we have recorded for us about the crucifixion. I mean, that, that would have a, you would have a physical response to having witnessed that. In verse 18, we're told that one of them, look at verse 18 with me, one of these two travelers on the road to Emmaus, then one of them named Cleopas answered him. We're told his name. Now, there are a few Cleopases who are mentioned in the Scriptures. We're not sure exactly which one this is. I I think the most obvious option is that this Cleopas is the husband of a woman mentioned by John. In John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were, then it lists who was there, his mother, his mother Mary, and his mother's sister, Mary. It's probably a sister-in-law. So we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then Mary, Mary, Jesus' mother's sister, probably sister-in-law, the wife of Cleopas and of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Often the names are spelled differently in different places and by different authors. It seems most natural to me that what we're talking about on this journey is Uncle Cleopas and Aunt Mary on a journey home to Emmaus after they'd seen nephew Jesus on a cross. Like I said, we don't know for sure exactly who this is, but we are told that, it, uh, that it's Cleopas, and we know that these are disciples of Jesus, and they're shaken to their core. No matter which Cleopas we're talking about, these two disciples have saw a man die a horrific death whom they had followed. They, they knew him personally. And, listen, they had hoped in him. And they're shaken. Look at verse 17 with me. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Jesus asks, what are you talking about? He's withheld Uh, his visage from them. They they don't recognize him as he's walking with them. And as he asked them, it says that they stand there looking sad. I mean, here's a question again. 
what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they just stop. Like, really? I mean, you heard what we were talking about. You surely, surely you know. Are the, you the only person in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what we're talking about? And he, they're shaken. They're sad. Let me get to the point. They're sad for one reason. I would suggest that the depth of their sadness is actually in this. They had failed to understand what had actually happened. They had failed to understand, and, and really the argument is they had failed to remember, according to the word, what had actually happened when Jesus died on that cross, on that day. They failed to understand and to believe who Jesus actually is. Look at verse 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Well, this tells us what they believed about Jesus. They make their confession about who it is that died on that cross, that they had witnessed his horrific death just that Friday before. And their confession is this. Jesus, you know, the man, he died. Jesus, you know, the prophet, he's mighty in word and deed before God and all people. That's what they remembered. That's what they confessed. And all of this is true. But he's not merely a man. He's the God-man, the incarnate son of God. He, he's not merely a prophet. He's the very word made Flesh. He's not merely mighty in deed and word. He's the very power of God, accomplishing the covenant of God. And he's not merely before God and all people. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Do you see, their confession was accurate. I'm reminded of another confession. You may remember Peter's confession. Surely you are the Christ. And Jesus says, Well done. But on, great work, it's true. But what Peter understood about the Christ, what Peter understood about the Messiah, was that the Messiah would, would be a rescuer, not one who dies, who suffers and dies. And Peter rebukes Jesus for Jesus explaining who the Messiah is. You see, there's, it's possible to have a partial understanding of Jesus and yet not, not remember what's revealed according to the word. So the question is, how did these disciples miss Jesus? I would suggest they did not know the scriptures. Well, is that really true? Were they really ignorant of the truth? I think the answer is probably yes and no. All right, Kent Hughes, a commentator, writes, certainly they believed the prophets, I think it's very likely that these disciples actually knew more about the prophets than you or I do before we think we're really cool because we know who Jesus is. Certainly they believed the prophets, but just as certainly they did not believe all that the prophets had said. They had read and believed the prophets selectively as they embraced the Messiah ruler passages, ignoring the passages that prophesied his sufferings just like Peter did. This is what happens when you interpret the, the Bible according to our lives, rather than our lives being interpreted by the scriptures. You see, 
the Bible actually winds up reading our lives back to us. But what we do is we read our lives onto the Bible. The story of our of lives, the story of their lives said that Israel was special. The special one whom God would, would surely rescue from the bad Romans, right? So because this was what they had read, this was their story, this is what their lives were longing for rather than discovering what their souls ought to long for, what they needed was a warrior king. They needed David to return, and rescue the people. But the story of the scriptures said that though Israel is indeed special in the eyes of God, they are, along with all of mankind, sinners under judgment. You remember the covenant, right? Blessing and curse. They need not a warrior king. They need a suffering servant, that is, someone righteous who would suffer death in their place. And that's exactly what Jesus had done. But they didn't see it because they read the scriptures selectively according to their lives' desires. These disciples on the road are trying to make sense of the history of redemption. That's a good labor. How we understand God's word in history is affected by our idolatrous notions, the idolatrous notions of our hearts. And so we do will to admit them and let the scriptures read them. They on, the only way that our hearts can be corrected and reoriented to the truth is to have the scriptures held out to us, which is what Jesus does. By God, as he reveals his purpose, his purpose being worked out in history, and by this, our hearts and our minds are rebuked. We can't skip that step. We can't say, oh man, I believe. No, we have to confess, oh man, I was wrong. I was wayward. I was looking here for something that actually cannot rescue me. Our lives are rebuked. Our hearts and our minds are rebuked. And then we believe. Now consider this reality that ought to be obvious from us from our passage today. These two disciples of Jesus, they're, they're actually walking with whom? Right? They're walking with Jesus. Right? These two disciples are walking with Jesus. Even though they don't know it, they're with Jesus, and yet they don't have eyes to see, do they? They don't recognize him. I would suggest that it turns out that it's not enough to have Jesus. I mean, they did. I mean, if anybody's got Jesus, it's two people in a moment of their sadness when Jesus himself draws near to them. But it turns out that's not enough. It turns out what we need is Jesus according to the scriptures. Let me ask this question. Is it true that all we need is Jesus? Now, stay with me for a second, because I think the argument of this passage is, while many have said all we need is Jesus, these people had Jesus, but it actually was not enough. Many have said all we need is Jesus, but Jesus doesn't seem to agree. In fact, when Jesus comes to them, he did not have to veil himself from them. He could have said, hey guys, it's me. You thought I was dead, didn't you? But I'm here, and I'm here with you, and we're on the road. Don't be sad anymore. Here I am. 
That's not what he does. Because they didn't just need Jesus to appear to them on a road to Emmaus. In fact, Jesus, in his wisdom, hides himself from his disciples so that they did not recognize him. If all we need is Jesus, it seems cruel. Why would Jesus hide himself? What does Jesus give them? What is it that Jesus, in hiding himself from them, even as he is with them, what does Jesus give to the disciples? He gives them a sight He does not give them a sight to behold. I mean, imagine walking in depth of grieving, horrific sadness at the death of the one that you thought was the Christ, and he appears to you on the side of the road. That would be a sight to behold, but that's not what he gives them. What he gives them is a word to believe. Jesus knew that if they saw his face, they would never know him. Is that true? Is there something that you and I need to believe about that? That were they to see Jesus' very face, they would not have actually known him. If If they saw him through the faith in the word, only then would they know him truly. I want to make an argument for this. And read. look at verses 25 and 26 with me. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You see, the disciples had had Jesus for three years, but they couldn't believe in Jesus until they finally believed in the prophets. You see, they had Jesus the whole time. But what they didn't have was faith in the word of God revealed by the prophets. This is the part of the prophets that they failed to understand. What they failed to understand is suffering and then glory. They were looking for warrior king, glory. They believed that. Oh, yeah. But they didn't believe suffering and then glory. They didn't believe the way of the cross. And Jesus explains it to him. In our time in the Gospel of Mark, just a number of months ago, we, we saw over and over how Jesus follows this same pattern of revealing to them what is the nature of the Messiah, the suffering, rejected, crucified, and resurrected one. And here in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus seems to believe that the word of God, that is the Bible, is the only sufficient means by which we can know, understand, and believe Jesus. I mean, do you see it? Are you with me? Do you understand that Jesus was there? Like They had Jesus. And Jesus could have given him them himself in the resurrected flesh. And he doesn't. Because he knows what they need is the Jesus according to the scriptures. 
Some have said, if I could only see Jesus, I remember as a kid saying this, Jesus, if I could only see you, if you would only appear, if only you would do something miraculous, if only, right? But Jesus seems to think that the only way you will ever truly see and believe is if the word will be opened to you. Some of you want a miracle, and then you'll believe. Then all your apologetics will fall away, and you won't need them anymore. You won't need any defense. If you could only see some miracle. But Jesus is saying that they saw me. They walked with me. In fact, the women saw that he was removed from the tomb and had risen, and they're walking with the risen Lord. But what they need to do is they need to hear a story. And what's the story that Jesus told? The history of redemption. A story that we've been looking at for 14 weeks now, beginning with Moses and through the prophets. He told them, do you have Jesus? Well, we do. According to the scriptures, all concerning himself. Go back again. Go back to verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They went at They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen vision of angels who said that he was alive. Remember, they're telling this to Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know, I sent the angels. I'm not in there anymore, right? He totally could have done that. He didn't. They they tell their version of a resurrection story, and the way that they tell it, it's little more than a story, like a fairy tale, the wishful thinking of some distraught women. But then Jesus retells the story, not in light of wistful hopes or disillusioned loss. Jesus retells the story in light of God's purpose of redemption. God is so kind to meet us right where we are. He does. You do understand, I'm not making light of the fact that Jesus was with them on the road. What great grace. But when God comes up alongside of us, it's not where we are that is the most important. It still is the history of redemption. It is still the truth of the scriptures. It's still Christ according to his word. When we understand the person and work of Jesus according to the history of redemption, the covenant of God revealed throughout the scriptures, then we see that Jesus Like the real Jesus, the redemption Jesus, is on the road with us. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Some of you say, well, I know everything I need to know about Jesus. I know he died for my sins. That's not what he said. It's not just that he died for your sins. It's that he died for your sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Friends, we need to know what that means too. How is it that the the forgiveness of sins fulfills God's word from Moses through the prophets? And we saw it just a few weeks ago. We, We looked at the Day of Atonement. Oh, that's how. We have this 
this bull that, that's supposed to like atone for sin, but it's offered year after year. And how can an animal be finally given for the sins of a person? And then we have the Christ and we say, oh, he gave himself as, as died for our sins in accordance with the day of atonement. With the accord, in accordance with the promise of the prophets, in accordance of God's purpose of redemption, blessing, curse, redemption, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Christ has died for our sins and Christ has risen, granting us new life. Do we have a confidence that comes from knowing how that works in accordance with the scriptures? We see these disciples of Jesus groping in their sadness as an effort to understand the history of redemption. And then we see Jesus giving them himself by giving them his word, by interpreting to them And now what we see is their hearts catch fire. And their hearts catch fire as the word is kindled in them. Let's consider their hearts. Verse 29. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village they were going to. They acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. What a beautiful image of hospitality. They're having a wonderful conversation with him, and they're, they're being comforted by, by hearing the story of redemption that is the hope of bringing comfort. It's not enough to say, Jesus loves you. It's, here's how Jesus loves you. Here's the work of Christ. Here's the nature of his steadfast love, like the sort of steadfast love that goes back to the generosity of creation through the covenants into promise and then fulfillment. That's the steadfast love and mercy of Christ for us. And their hearts are being warmed. And they said, come in, eat with us. And Jesus goes in to eat with them and he holds out bread for them just as he had done a Thursday before in the Last Supper. Notice their response. Verse 32. Just after he vanished from their sight, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road. Pause there. I would suggest that Jesus' voice sounded like, you know, the voice of a dude on a road walking to Emmaus. There was no specialness to his voice. He didn't have some depth and fullness, tone. He didn't have a radio voice that warmed them. It It was the beauty of his words. And their hearts were being warmed as he spoke to them. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? What is it that burns within the hearts of disciples? It ought to be the history of redemption. It ought to be the reality of the word made flesh in the Christ. In Jesus, when he opened the scriptures, that's when. It's only when the word of God is opened as the means of understanding on our journey. It's only as the story of God, according to his own word about his self, is opened that we begin to understand the story of our lives. 
Their story, the story of their lives were distraught, but the word is open and they are warmed. That's the celebration rhythm and the, contrib- and, the, and the connection rhythm in our gospel partnership course. We celebrate the story of God that connects to our lives, that makes sense of, that reads and interprets our own lives. We begin to see ourselves not as the hero anymore. We're not even those who are, who are needy but worthy to be rescued. But we see ourselves as broken. We see ourselves as sinners in the story. And we begin to see Jesus not as our knight in shining armor that comes to rescue the princess. No, he's a rightful king. And he's a rightful judge who suffered in our place. We get the Jesus of the word, the Jesus of the true redemption story. As these disciples bring Jesus into their home, they bring him to their table. And Jesus ignites their faith by his word. Let me ask this. We know what Jesus was up to then. It's really a beautiful story. Well, what is Jesus up to now? Where's Jesus walking And what is he saying? After Jesus rose from the dead, we find him on the road, not in some flashy light show. That sort of thing is coming, and it's called the second advent. Oh, there will be a light show, and he'll come in all the glory. But we find Jesus making much of himself, but not in the way that we expected. He humbly opens the word to a people around a table. How much more ought the disciples to carefully, diligently, faithfully, humbly, and with fire in our hearts open the word and put Jesus on display until he comes? I'm a fan of art. I love music. I love incredible, beautiful things. And these things can make Jesus known. And sometimes I've longed throughout my life as an artist to see some great artist do some great thing to make Jesus look famous. But friends, that would be a diversion from the strategy that we see Jesus going about. What is needed is people like you sitting down at a table with a friend. And Jesus is mostly not seen there by the friend. They don't know that he's sitting at the table as you pray, Lord God, meet us at the table today. And you open up the word, and he's made known. We find ourselves on the road, in the kitchen, at a friend's house, at a break room, and we're still sharing the same story. The angels at the tomb told the women to remember. You remember that, right? They were to remember the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus' concern for the disciples on the road is, is not their ignorance, but rather their failure to the remember They knew the story. Jesus easily walked along and interpreted the word to them from Moses through the prophets. And they heard it. And they remembered. I'm utterly convinced that the greatest issue facing the church today, this morning, is not rising secularism and it's not cultural decline. And yet we spend a lot of time thinking about that, don't we? And we should. Spend some amount of time doing that. But let me tell you, it is not the great problem facing us today. Our problem is, and it's been this for a while, a pretty radical ignorance of God's word. A pretty 
And if you want to use the word, we throw the word radical on about everything that we think is bad. But I'll tell you, we have a radical ignorance and failure to remember problem. I wonder if I was walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, if he would have been able to do in a few short hours on that road with me what he did with these disciples. I don't think I would have been able to keep up. I don't know if I would have been able to follow along so that he could simply interpret. I probably would have said, could you just kind of tell me the whole story again and don't leave out any details? Because I and we are we're pretty ignorant. Let me suggest that we have access to the scriptures in a way that our ignorance shows that our ignorance must be nothing short of willful. We're not just ignorant, we are willfully ignorant. We don't just think that we don't take, it's not just that we don't take time to remember. I think it's actually something like this, that we have been deluded into thinking, I've already got Jesus. I've got plenty of Jesus. I know Jesus died for my sins. I know that I'm forgiven. I know he's risen. I know he's coming for me. And now I've got work to do. You know what? We've got busy lives these days. That we are willfully ignorant and idolatrous. It is true. We do have Jesus. But Jesus is the word made flesh. And I wonder, do we fail to recognize him if we ignore the word of the scriptures? A lot of the history of redemption and really Bible together all together is, is an admission that I don't know and I need help from other people to walk with me. And that can we, can we admit we need help? We don't know biblical history. I would, I would suggest there are four things. I encourage you, write these down, reflect on them and consider how could we together walk together, sit around tables together with Jesus with us. Make no mistake, he sent his spirit that we would remember to remind us of the truth. He's going to do at our table what he did at this table. First, that we would come to know biblical history. It's hard to read a book with a bunch of cities in it, and you don't know where the cities are. (laughs) I mean, come on. They had a little bit of an advantage. They lived there, you know? We should probably do some work, first of all, to get to know biblical history. Second, that we would get to know the history of redemption. And it's not the same thing. It's one thing to tell a narrative. It's another thing to interpret the narrative in the fullness of its meaning. By that, I would mean the covenants. That we would come to know not just the story, but the story of God's work in establishing a relationship to redeem a people. Third, that we would get to know the Psalms. And what's really neat is you don't have to do these in order. Like, even in your ignorance, you can go and learn and sing psalms that name cities and places and events that you don't yet understand. (laughs) And as we would read the psalms, and as we would learn to worship and pray through the psalms, the psalms will become a worshiping accompaniment to the history and history of redemption that we're coming to know. We'll have the words of worship on our lips. And I would argue that that really all of our songs need some serious updating. We're far too ignorant. If you listen to all of our worship music, it presumes that we're ignorant. It presumes that we don't know the beautiful things to celebrate the way that the Psalms do. And we could write better songs. Fourth, the prophets moving the covenant 
into its completion in Christ. And we will have affirmed, yes, he rose, but his resurrection accomplished something according to the proclamation of the prophets. It's into this biblical context that Jesus came to establish and accomplish redemption. But we can't understand the redemption that he accomplished while simultaneously ignoring the scriptures that tell us who he is and that that give us the meaning of what he has done. As we know the scriptures, I would argue that we become prayerful and, and worshipful students of the word, that the Lord's own words will begin to burn in our hearts. It has been argued, particularly Francis Schaeffer argued, that revival, we tend to think of revival as, as like getting real excited about Jesus. Friends, revi- this is revival. Revival comes as the word begins, like the word that we understand now. As the spirit brings revival by an understanding, an appreciation, and a word burning in our hearts. I know, I know now. May God bring revival May his spirit work among his people and make no mistake, a people with a word burning in their hearts run back to Jerusalem that evening and they're excited to tell the story. Idolatrous religious notions are gonna be burned away and will run with the gospel on our lips. Some of you here, you have not confessed Jesus. You've seen him, but you haven't seen him with the eyes of faith. Let me suggest you don't need to see a miracle. You don't need to be convinced by some spiritual argument. What you need to hear is Christ and him crucified according to the scriptures. And what you need is to turn and believe. And perhaps one of the things that you need is someone who's sitting in the row with you, someone that invited you, someone at your community group, someone in your family to sit with you with that word. Perhaps the history of redemption reading plan, you're like, I haven't been following along. Well, begin tomorrow. <laughs> Let's come to know the word together. Will we invest in one another that we might have that word burn in our hearts? And the call to you is to believe, to repent of your idolatrous notions of what you need and to believe in the Christ who died for the forgiveness of your sin. And this Advent, that we observe the hope of the fact that the Lord has come and is coming again, I pray that the Lord will come to every one of you, that I know he is walking with you on the road, and that he will reveal himself by his word. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. We know your great grace. We know the words of your promise. We, we saw the way that you, you were with your disciples even to the very end. We saw your appearing to them. We saw your sending of your spirit. We see your promise to be with us even to the end of the age. We know you walk with your people. I pray, Lord, for your patience with us. I pray that you would continue to make your word known. Give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Spirit, interpret your word to us that we would see what is there and not what our hearts wander off after. Rebuke and correct and grant us faith to receive your word in a manner that we are transformed, born again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the history of redemption. 
the history of redemption with its glorious climax, that it is true. This is what is according to the scripture. Jesus is all we need. If we receive you according to your word by faith. Thank you, Lord. We pray for your work in the midst of this congregation, in this county, in your world. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.